I believe that we all have something to say that's really, really valuable. And I think sometimes it does take getting into the ring and being like, whoa, I got knocked out big time by that. (laughs) And if you can get yourself to the drawing board and say, okay, great. Like we tried that. No one signed up. That's, that's not personal. Like I don't need to take that personally. It might mean that that's a piece of material that I can bring forward in another two years. It could be this wasn't quite the right time to do it. It could be that I have the opportunity to refresh it or to consider it in a different way. My kind of main belief about business and the entrepreneurial path is that it actually is, and I used this word before, very spiralic. Welcome to Everything is Teachable, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to learn how everyday creators have transformed their skills and passions into online courses and businesses. Hello and welcome. It's Haley, Teachable Senior Social Media Strategist and host of this podcast, Everything is Teachable. I am so glad you're here. I cannot believe we're already kicking off season four, and I cannot wait for you to tune in this season. But Before we get into our first episode, I have a special gift for you. So if you're listening to this right now and you aren't already on one of our plans, we are offering a 20% off discount for our most popular plan, Pro Annual. So if you've been listening to past episodes and feeling really inspired to create an online course of your own, consider this a sign to get started. To get more details about the offer, head to teachable.com slash podcast dash promo. Now, let's meet our very first guest of the season, Lindsay Mack of Tarot for the Wild Soul. Lindsay is an intuitive artist, tarot teacher, writer, and the host of the popular podcast, Tarot for the Wild Soul, which has been downloaded over 6 million times since it launched in 2017. Lindsay is the creator of Soul Tarot, a radical reinterpretation and intentional utilization of the tarot as a helping tool one that can assist us in differentiating the noise of our mind from the truth of our soul. Through their workshops, retreats, and online tarot courses, Lindsay has had the profound honor of teaching soul tarot to tens of thousands of people from all around the world. I'm so fascinated by the tarot practice personally, so this interview was so much fun to do. Let's go ahead and say hello to Lindsay. Lindsay, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm quite well. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. And I'm so honored to have you on. I'm I'm such a huge fan of your work and everything that you're doing. And I'm just super excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Yes. Let's go ahead and jump right in. I would love to just start things off with talking about you and where you started before you began your entrepreneurial journey. Oh, you know, as I'm sure most entrepreneurs can identify with, it was a pretty, well, maybe some of them can't actually, I feel like we all have our own way in, but it was a pretty spirally path to the work I'm doing now. But I would say that I definitely have an entrepreneurial spirit and have certainly been like right out of college in my very early 20s. I was a part of a theater company that did performance art downtown in New York City for many years. And we 
self-produced all of our own shows, which means we paid for everything. <laughs> we paid our actors and we made our sets. And like, it was a very hands-on, you have a million different jobs to do. So from a pretty young age, there was always a sense of like, what's the day job that's going to support this job? You know, there was always that exchange. Then when my work started to pivot away from performance and into service um, and into helping profession work, that sort of started with health coaching, like way back in 2012. And I felt like I, I was very passionate about that as somebody who had PTSD and was pretty benefited and affected by the food I ate. And then there was kind of another wave of change and tarot, which is a tool I've used since I was about 12 years old, came back into my life. And, and I wasn't ever planning on tarot becoming my business, but once I sort of had a taste of how good it felt to do it professionally, it became like a really clear, a very clear drive and vision for me that I really wanted to be able to make my living doing this. That was really a dream. And that morphed from like readings to teaching. And now I think probably still teaching, but I hope different things and books and things. So I don't know, it's always been in me, but in terms of, it was definitely born of the desire to do this work and be blessed and privileged enough to be able to make my living at it. And it has certainly been a wonderful honor to be able to do that. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I I know we're going to talk about tarot throughout this episode, Mm -hmm. but I really want to talk about your personal connection with it. You mentioned that you started using tarot when you were 12. Yeah. What was your experience with tarot? Like, why did you, why did you feel so drawn to it? And how did that develop throughout your life to where you are now? Yeah. So I think like in a greater energetic sense, perhaps some part of me knew that it would be a tool that would be very important and special in my life. I've definitely always had pretty strong instincts. They've guided me to like, I don't really question them when they come up. And I do remember at that age, seeing tarot in the bookstore that I was in for what I think was the first time. I don't recall knowing what tarot was before that. Certainly no one I knew used it and I didn't know about it from media really all that much. But I saw them and thought, well, that looks really interesting. Now, I think there were a couple of reasons why I thought it was interesting. One is that from the time I was really young, I considered and self-identified as a witch and a very like deeply connected, very sensitive kid. That word before I really had much context for what it meant in a larger sense and being a part of like a coven or a practice resonated with me. And... I knew that there was something about these cards. And I think probably the thing that made my 12-year-old self pick them up is that I had a really hard, very dysfunctional, abusive childhood. And I think I was just like always looking for anything that might help me to bridge a gap to something bigger than me, understand. I was comforted and enjoyed tools like that even though I didn't really know tarot, what it was, what it did, I wanted to buy it and did and bought it with some books and tried to teach myself. And I think how my work with the tarot developed started at that age, because 
I would pull these cards and read these descriptions of what the cards meant and think that's not true for me at all. Mm-hmm. And rather than kind of be like, oh, well, I must not understand. There was something in me that thought, well, maybe the author is coming at this from a place where they're not considering a different point of view than their own. And so it encouraged me from a very young age to be a very, to be a critical thinker really about it. And from there, it just continued to be this tool rather than knowing what's to come became something that would help me to understand what I was moving through and how to get closer to myself. So those were, it's very abridged, but that's a, that's a part of how I found it, a part of how it started and a part of how the, the germ of sort of how it influenced the work I do with it now. Yeah. What was kind of your biggest inspiration to transition into more healing work, energy work, and especially so with working with fellow creators, fellow business owners, because I know mm-hmm. that's your main focus, correct? I work with everybody, but there's a sect of my business that is focused on fellow intuitives, creatives. Yeah. There's like a little branch (laughs) where it's a great passion of mine. Yes. I think it's just like, I will likely spend my whole life healing from the wounding and the trauma that I've gone through. And I think that's often the journey of somebody who's been through some really hard stuff mm-hmm. is that if they find that they've kind of moved through an underworld journey, there is sometimes an inspiration of a desire to help to be by someone's side while they do it. Obviously I'm not overemphasizing my work. I'm not a therapist and I don't do therapeutic work, but there is a kind of a core theme in my work that's really the tarot can come with you through anything. It can really be a tool that can show up with you, be with you as a benevolent tool, as a kind tool, as a mirror. And that was always how I saw it. So it, was, it wasn't it was really all that strategic. It was really just like, I feel like I have something to say about this that might be, it's a little bit less so now unique that I think that like a lot of people have that viewpoint on tarot. But Certainly when I was coming up, there wasn't a whole lot of that. So yeah, that's what inspired me. It was just a desire to, it was a calling, you know, plain and simple. And I think same thing with helping folks who run or want to run their own business. Like I'm, again, a trauma survivor who lives with chronic pain, lives with PTSD. That's a very different rhythm of working and of being an entrepreneur than I think for some. And so my work is really born and inspired out of that. Like we all work and move and create in different rhythms. So how can there be something here that is a soft place to land for somebody who just feels like this whole industry is too much, or there's a lot of ableism over here, or there's a lot of kind of binary over there. I don't claim to be doing the best and most perfect job at it, but it's certainly like just teaching and leading from what I know today. You know, my own path is the biggest inspiration, I suppose. That is such a beautiful story. And I really, really appreciate you sharing that with me and our listeners. And 
I really think a common theme that I'm picking up on is that you are so able to trust your voice. Yes. And I think that's something that I would really like to talk about because for people in particular who are wanting to start their own business or share their knowledge in some kind of way, mm-hmm. a lot of people are maybe scared to take that first step or just trust their voice like, is what I have to say valuable? Is what I have to share? Do p- Are people going to care about this? And what advice would you have for people who are kind of in that space? Oh, just give yourself the freedom and the permission to start from where you are. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest piece of advice that I would give anyone. I There is something in me that's louder and more forward-facing than the doubt that I often feel and the insecurity <laughs> because that is in there. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I have been making work publicly since about 2015. And oh my God, when I go back and look at my old work, it's, um, keeps you humble. I mean, I'll (laughs) I'll just say that even my work from two years ago, I just think, wow, there's been a lot of realizations, a lot of, a lot of awareness has developed, a lot of radicalization has, has developed in me and it's different. And I think there is a, an unfortunate part of entrepreneurship and sort of strategic business design where really all of it has to be kind of, you have to be really perfect. You have to like sweep it all under the rug. And my attitude has always really been transparency. Like I'm very transparent with my community about how I've grown, how I've changed, what I wouldn't do again, what feels Mm -hmm. kind of a like, like I missed the mark or I failed or, and I feel like my my bond with my community has only grown stronger through the occasional rupture and then repair or the occasional pivot on my part based on something I understand now or didn't before. I believe that we all have something to say that's really, really valuable. And I think sometimes it does take getting into the ring and being like, whoa, I got knocked out big time by that. (laughs) And (laughs) if you can get yourself to the drawing board and say, okay, great. Like we tried that. No one signed up. That's, that's not personal. Like I don't need to take that personally. It might mean that that's a piece of material that I can bring forward in another two years. It could be, this wasn't quite the right time to do it. Could be that I have the opportunity to refresh it or to consider it in a different way. My kind of main belief about business and the entrepreneurial path is that it actually is, and I used this word before, very spiralic. We're humans. We get sick. We get old. We die. There are things that happen, things that happen in life. We change our minds. We realize things we didn't know before. So all this to say that if we think about the idea that we would wait to trust, like that we know everything, that we have everything. Obviously, we want to work in integrity, in in an ethical way. But if we're waiting for that moment when like, it's all there, it's never going to happen. So I would say that while I wish, 
you know, my mind, my brain wants everything to like be perfect and square and great. I have never learned much from that. So I think we, we, we become the entrepreneurs that we are through, through saying, I don't have the trust, but I do feel the call. So I think that's the key is like, I, I do have the call. This information feels like it wants to be shared. Whoever comes forward and wants to experience it, that's not really within my control, but my job is just put it out there. And I feel like that is what has guided me personally. And that's what helps when my stuff doesn't do as well as I want it to do or wish it would do or when my numbers are a little lower, you know, it's it's a, l- a lot easier for me because my self-worth isn't tied up in that. It's really just like, well, my one job was to bring the material forward <laughs> and I did it. So, yeah. you know, who knows what that means, but that's my job. Hopefully that's yeah. helpful. Oh my God. Yes, it is. It really, really is. Especially when you mention not tying your self-worth to the results or just yeah. your business in general. Yes, it's your business, but it doesn't, it's not the it's not the end all be all to who you are as a person if something doesn't go the way you want it to go. Yeah. 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 And I love I love what you mentioned about just feeling the pull towards something is enough to start showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really great. And what were some of like either you can maybe touch on challenges that you experienced when you first started or even challenges that you're facing now? What were some common themes or – any bigger challenges that have come up for you? I would say for me, the constant sort of companion. I mean, being an entrepreneur, right? It's it's a, a journey, certainly, of discovery. And I think it's a mirror in a big way to our stuff, you know? And like, I don't know if everyone always thinks about it like that. I certainly do. I think that... My biggest challenges over the years that I do think have really shifted, like recently, it's taken that much time, is kind of just overgiving. That's been my mm-hmm. biggest, is like undercharging, overgiving, and getting completely destroyed and not quite like understanding logistically what burnout is, what overgiving is, but I was really tethered to this idea that was a little stronger than I think the logical part of me that was like, in order for people to appreciate me, to like me, to do the work, to stay with me, I have to like give everything or I'm not giving at all. I was really challenged by that and and still am. Like there, I was just talking to my uh, husband literally this morning because I'm going on maternity leave and I'm taking a very long one. And that took almost like the entirety of my pregnancy to try to, my business had to completely change shape for me to do that. And Mm -hmm. in that journey of reshaping, it really did make me kind of confront a lot of things that were like dysfunctional or had outstayed their welcome and whatever. I think it's a much more sustainable path going forward. But I share that because I was saying to my husband, this is something I bring up in therapy all the time, like, I can do this thing. So why would I not do this thing? That's my Mm. hardest, most challenging thought 
when I pivoted my podcast to every other week out of respect for just my body, it's harder. This is delightful and easy to do, but meaning like to sit down to really think about a podcast episode and a topic and record it, it's just harder in my body right now, like physically to do that all the time. Every week was too hard. And that was so hard because I just thought, if I'm not doing it all the time, then people will forget about me and I can do it. There's nothing stopping me. So then I have to confront like, well, I don't want to do it. And that's been, that's, that has been my hardest thing is like centering the, I don't really want to do it. Like I, you know, like, like I don't, yeah. I don't, being I don't okay want with to. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at the very least being like, well, I'm maybe if I'm not okay with it, I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, I'm willing to go with it. It took until I would say 2020 for me to be like, oh, I don't want to do this stuff. Like how interesting. Like I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever wanted to, not the, the work or the courses, but elements of it. And I, right. I remember it was pretty eye-opening. And from there, it was kind of like, well, is that enough? And of course it is. But I think that in answer to your question, like that has been, because I am, I am able to do so much. I have so many ideas. I'm, I kind of run hot and hard naturally. Like I'm able to do just create, produce a lot. And that part of it doesn't exhaust me, but there are as soon as I'm clicked into anything that isn't really like something I want to do, it just, you know, flays the life out of me. It really does. So (laughs) it's taken a long time, a lot of like collapses into like burnout and exhaustion for me to be like, I don't have to do that. And really it would probably be wiser and more financially feasible and more, respectful for myself and my community if I just dropped it, you know? So yeah, I would say that's my biggest piece for sure. Yeah. For me personally, I think yeah. that whenever, whenever I've thought about saying no or, or feeling like, like what you said, when I have that feeling of, I don't want to do this, I have so much guilt and shame around that. Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks or things that you've done in the past to kind of like not overcome it, but kind of let the emotions flow through you, of course, but kind of handling that when it comes up, because it is so important to recognize that and to allow yourself to give yourself grace, you know? Yeah. I mean, this answer maybe is a little out there, but it is what helps me is that I, I have that too. Mm -hmm. And yes, step one for me as well is like, whoa, okay, there's guilt and shame here. Can I be with the guilt and shame? Can they just be here without me trying to avoid them? Which is its own animal and its own Mm -hmm. challenge. Mm -hmm. I look at it as a matter of ancestral healing work, actually, and of breaking generational curses that are like, this is something I recognize in my father. And Mm -hmm. my father... I don't want to speak for him, but I think really loves to work like I do, but is running away from something inside of the process of him working. And I look at my grandparents on both sides and how they were all trying to run from wounding or pain because I think they were all really uncomfortable with just being 
in their own enoughness, in their own relaxation or rest or pleasure being centered. And so when I think about the level of inherited beliefs and indoctrination, whether on purpose or not, that I have around this, a lot of self-compassion arises because it's a a lot easier for me to be like, not to blame my uh, caretakers, but to really be like, of course, (laughs) like everything in the overculture says like, you know, how, how on earth could you, how on earth dare you not do this because you don't want to. I also think that generationally, that's a little bit a part of what millennials and younger are breaking. And because other generations who are older than us are still very much in the workforce, there's judgment there that's still really active and present. Like we're not as 40 year olds, like 30, 40 years ago, we're not really ascending to the kind of positions that we would be because the older generations aren't retiring, which is whatever it is. But there's just like a lot on us that I don't think was ever even in the picture before. Yeah. And we're paying for that. Yeah, We're paying definitely. for that. So there really is, no, everybody's paying for it. So I think I really look at it, it's like a matter of like, generational necessity. And now I look at it as like, well, what, what would I want to encourage my child to do? What would I want to really encourage them to feel available to consider in their own life? So there's, I go there with it. And that helps me to widen the lens a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is so wholly important because I recently came across, I think this report came out towards the end of last year and it's called the Creator Burnout Report. And Mm. it shows all these different aspects under the umbrella of burnout and how it relates to online creators. And it says that, which I'm not surprised by this number at all, that 90% of online creators have or are experiencing burnout currently. And I mean, totally outside of the online creator world, like who isn't experiencing burnout at this point? Totally. But it's so interesting to see. And it's also kind of shocking to just really see that number on, on paper. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, relating back to overgiving and saying no, I think a lot of that is worked on through setting boundaries, which is very difficult for a lot of people and within reason because setting boundaries can be hard. But do you have any advice about setting boundaries and kind of maybe like if if someone is listening right now and they have had trouble with setting boundaries for a long, long time, what would you say would be like a good first step for them to just try something small to kind of work their way up? I think I have a couple different things that popped up at one time, but the biggest, most dominant thing is to know I have a, okay, I have like a slightly twofold response. I have an action step and I just have a broad strokes commentary on that because you're, okay. you're so right. I think the biggest fear, we are like boundaries are a big deal to me, obviously. And I think a lot of us feel like they're mean or uncomfortable with them. And I know because I've had so many conversations with other entrepreneurs about this or creative professionals or people who own their own businesses 
They're afraid they're going to lose business if they don't, if they're not always there for any beck and call, any entitled desire that their client or customer has. I understand some people like that's literally the position. And I still think boundaries can be created inside Mm -hmm. of that space. So I would say in my personal experience, I've experienced that fear as well. And it's never happened. The only thing that's ever happened is, and God love them, the people who (laughs) really are not meant to be working with me have gone. Mm. And whenever we kind of utilize any space that we do any kind of client interfacing business in as a sort of a platform for transformative realization and change. So let's take Instagram. If we make a decree on our Instagram, like I don't do DMs, I only email, which I have and which other people do. There is going to be at first a lot of hypervigilance. Like what if the Mm -hmm. most important DM of my life comes in and I miss it? And that's valid. That's valid. I still think though, making it a commitment to say my fucking email is in my profile. Like (laughs) it's, it's in the link tree. If they really want to talk to me, they'll figure it out, you know? And maybe that's not someone's thing. Maybe they're like, I, I don't answer email after a certain hour. I actually think making these small step choices to really ask ourselves, like, where is the biggest bulk of my headaches, the traffic coming in into my, like, where are the traffic jams happening where I get frustrated, upset, where I'm dreading it? How can we create just a little bit of equilibrium there so that there can be more expansion and a lot less resentment? or chasing or feeling like, is it, it eventually we pay for that. So I, I think it seems more expensive to like create the, the dam and yet the floods are very expensive. Right. So yes. I do think creating that is really nice. And my guardrails are pretty fucking tight in my business, but I've also set up guideposts for the people who connect with me to find kind of a warm way in. So before I had a, an assistant, there was a really loving away message, you know, that people could get right away. Now they interface really only with the person who, who sort of runs my inbox for me. I respond to anything that's really timely or important, but that is something that this person who I've hired loves to do. She really enjoys interfacing And while I love my community, that's really not my love language. I really like creating things so we can be in a kind of a a container of learning together. So it's hard and it's tangly, but if you can take one step around like, what do you most not want to do and what might be the most accessible way that you could create or craft just a little guardrail between yourself and and those entitled expectations. Because again, we can't change people. If someone has a really high degree of entitlement, I'm not really interested in working with them anyway. So I found like the money, the clientele is there. The students are there. They just don't need to be those people. So I think another world is possible, basically. I think all of this is so important to know that, I mean, 
not everyone is for you and that's a good thing. Like yeah, to know that as a great. business owner and putting these practices in place kind of weeds people out and it further guides the right people to you, which is what you want at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. there's no there's really no cons to any of this. Yeah, there isn't. Oh, that's so valuable. I and I'm so glad that you dive deep into that because I think it's something that everyone needs to hear, including myself. So, and I don't even I have agree. an online business. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's for truly for everybody. So, I really want to transition into a, another kind of pain point that I feel like I've noticed a lot of creators have, which is building an audience. And you mm. have a really, really great online audience, are very engaged. What were some of the strategies and tactics that you used to build your audience online? Well, I want to say that I feel like I I feel like the world is a little different now. So what I did like even a couple of years ago, I don't know that it is going to be as effective now because when I got started where I really like started to build my audience was Instagram, but I don't even know if that's like possible anymore with the way the algorithm is just a crushing force it was pretty different back in right. like 2014 so we're still with um, the chronological feed back yeah then. and where yeah. where there there wasn't actually that many spiritual entrepreneurs there really were right. not that many so i'll of course name what i did but knowing that someone may take this and apply it to where they're at I have always had a little bit of a motto that has guided me that is so completely like not unique or special, but that I always want to be giving something away, always. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the way that I've built my audience has been through that. So at first, that was doing daily card pulls on Instagram. I had the space for it. I liked it. It felt really engaging. And that was how I got an enormous amount of my reading clients and how I started to teach. And I really trusted what I had to say and really let my interpretations sort of like be what they wanted to be. And I didn't really care as I still don't about what sort of quote the card means. It really just mattered to me what invitation it was bringing that particular day. Then there came a time when that felt like it was too much. And I was doing too much to really commit to that. And right when that happened, I got the opportunity to do taroscopes on a weekly and monthly basis for a much, much larger blog. And so I took that and that really expanded my audience because there were way more people listening to me and, and reading my writing. And it was something to point to. And then it sort of felt time to drop that as well. And that was when my podcast was born. So there have always been these things that started really small and got very, very big that have just been no barrier to access whatsoever. Like you can just, you can, you can go anywhere you want. There's no paywall. You can just take it in. In fact, I, I say to people sometimes, I I think my offerings are, are very accessibly priced, but I do Mm -hmm. say to people, like, if you never wanted or if you never were in the position to invest in a course of mine, you could take pretty much a whole course just based on what I've done for free. 
It's not yeah. the same, but it's out there to be sure. And in fact, there's some topics I've gone into on my podcast I've never even talked about. So there wasn't that sense when I was getting started, or at least I wasn't aware of it, of like brand yourself and always be like, it really kind of came from my heart. I was just like, I really kind of want to offer this. So I would say having a really clear cut sense of what you give away because it feels really good and really accessible to you and because there's room in your cup to do so and what you then invite people into through that as a way of sort of continuing the learning or deepening the learning or whatever you're doing. I don't know. I, it's, it's honestly hard to even like, when I first started to do that, I didn't have a big sense of like, oh, I'm going to leverage this into that. I just really wanted to offer it. It felt nice to do. I liked connecting with people. It was a, a lot smaller community. My Instagram feels a little bit like the wild west now because <laughs> there's a lot more people, but that has now shifted into like what I offer my newsletter as well. So I think that there's, I see a lot of people and I understand why this happens and it's because of the algorithm and it sucks, but I do see a lot of folks throwing anything at the wall, yeah. anything just to see if it sticks and what I would encourage folks to do is like, I think it's great because anything can be an invitation to learn or discover. Really give yourself time to ask, what do I feel like I could do for a while? Like when I started my podcast, there were like three tarot podcasts. Now there are a million, which is so exciting. But I've seen like a lot of people, again, like they'll start a podcast and then they don't, they don't continue it. Because I don't think people realize like what it takes to do that on a on a seasonal basis, on a weekly basis. Like it takes time and energy and money and like, and it's still a joy for me to do. Right. Still. So I think giving yourself the spaciousness to say, if I'm gonna do a video a day, do I really want to do a video a day? Or would I like to offer this some other way? I think giving ourselves the freedom and the permission to be able to say, okay, I want there to be this just free and open heart, heart centered exchange. How would I like to offer it? And can I be courageous enough to move into the next thing when this one iteration of what I'm offering has expired? So I think not being afraid to shake it up a little bit, that, that has been how my audience has grown. So it's been a little mix of like, I could not ever discount the numinous for giving me the opportunity to be the taroscope person that really grew my audience. But my podcast was the thing that made it like explode. And that wasn't, that wasn't really what I was expecting. I just thought a couple people will tune in and I'll talk about tarot and it'll, I don't even know what it'll be, but it'll be something. And people really liked it. So, you know, and now I, I, I have honestly been feeling like, a little uninspired with the podcast. And I imagine that that means that something else might be wanting to come forward. And I know that because I've been through it before. So there's like letting yourself evolve, I think. And those, those have been the things that have really, the, the fraction of my audience that has actually invested in offering is quite small. My audience is very big when compared to the people who have taken a step 
to invest with me. Like it's still a lovely amount, but there are people who will hang in there with me for years and just want to learn or want to be there. And I think that's great, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's really the best of both worlds because not only when you're offering that free content, you're following your joy while you're Mm -hmm. doing it because it feels good to you at the time. And along with that, you're building so much trust with your community and just really I think so too. Taking that time to connect with the people that follow you, which is such a win-win. So that's great. Mm-hmm. And something that I'm always so interested in is hearing about, and this is kind of a moment for you to brag about yourself, is to hear about <laughs> how creators have provided a transformation for the people that they've worked with. What are some things that have stood out to you the most about some feedback that you've gotten from either your online course students or clients that you've worked with in the past? Mm. I will say I am blessed with a capital B with the most like epic feedback you could imagine from people just sharing stories about how the work has impacted them the most personally exciting feedback to me is when I hear from someone, it's all lovely, but when I hear from somebody that the tarot felt inaccessible, scary, there was a lot of trauma and concern for them about like what might happen if they engaged with this tool. And through engaging with my work, whether through the podcast or of course, there was a shift in them. And really all that is happening is that they're turning toward themselves and starting to trust what I believe is a calling from this tool to them. Like I'm not really doing anything, but I right. do think like my courses and my offerings do provide a bridge for people to trust that the tarot is a safe place to land in terms of using it as a helping tool. So there have just been such beautiful stories about people feeling like they actually understand the cards in their own way for the first time. Or I'll hear from folks who've worked with me for many years through many offerings, like, which is, by the way, what I'm about to say is super normal and um, completely understandable, but like, I only learned from you. So a lot of what I was saying was sort of sounded like you. And now it doesn't. Now it sounds like me. And I like your offerings. Yeah. Like your offerings provided this sort of anchor point for me to kind of grow my wings. And now I'm flying. And like, I don't have to come back to that anchor point. It can always be a part of our lineage of learning, but people coming into themselves through the work and it's a hundred percent them and their magic and what they're doing. But that is really exciting. That is really lovely to see that. Oh, I love that so much. That makes me so happy. I, you, it's mm-hmm. always just the best feeling to kind of get reminded like, the, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm, yeah. I'm following my purpose. So I really yeah. appreciate you sharing that. Of course. So you have an online course launch coming up shortly uh, yes. in February. I'd love to learn more about that. You know, what's all going to happen? Like what can mm-hmm. people expect and all of that? So I would be delighted to share. I have two, one in early February, one in March. The one in March, I think will probably be a little bit more appropriate to what we're, to the timing, but 
I will have a brand new offering called Rewilding Our Intuition. And it's a little, it's a little one, just a couple of, for me, this is a little one, but a couple of hours uh, of audio (laughs) material rather than like weeks and weeks of it. Just essentially this really lovely foundational primer for folks who would like to engage with a supportive inroad to beginning to trust in their intuitive voice. There's a lot of stuff to unpack. There are a lot of blocks. There's a lot of wounding. A lot of us have around intuition. And that is really what the offering gets at. It's kind of like, okay, can we acknowledge there's fear? There might be a story that you're not intuitive enough. So that is that one that comes out on February 2nd. And by the time this comes out, we'll just be available. But the bigger launch is that my yearly kind of super comprehensive keystone course called Tarot for the Wild Soul will open for enrollment from about March 7th to, I believe, the 17th. It's real quick, just open and shut. And then that material will open up on March 21st, and it won't open again until 2023. And that one is really... It's, it's a very, very epic, really deep, very powerful journey into truly making tarot your own tool. We don't really go into much linearly, like it's very out of order. And I think one of the best ways to learn tarot is rather than me teaching you what the high priestess is, it's much, much easier to learn when we sort of talk about when in life would we be in a high priestess season? So we're starting with life first and then plugging the card into it. So that's the whole course. It's a very high degree of like journaling and creative imagination and ritual and of course, very deep and comprehensive lessons. And so, yeah, that one is my really big one where we explore the tarot sort of non-linearly and that, that is the one that comes out like right on time for this. Oh, amazing. That's so fantastic. I'm so excited. And I'm already sending you you huge congratulations on the launch. And I'm really excited to hear how it goes. So thank you. That's awesome. Where can all of our listeners keep in touch with you after they're done listening to this episode? So the best place is to go to tarotofthewildsoul.com or lindsaymack.com and sign up for my newsletter. Because I'm going to be on maternity leave for the majority of 2022. I have a lot of really lovely, sweet content that is sort of backloaded and ready to go for folks on the newsletter front. I'll be probably totally off Instagram, but they're welcome to follow me there at Wild Soul Healing. I will have different courses coming out, different offerings that they can engage with through the year, really just website, newsletter, and... um, The podcast will be happening until March 25th, and then that'll go on hiatus. So yeah, there are a couple of places to find nourishment in there. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. And I know that I need to follow you on Instagram. I don't know how I haven't yet, but I'm excited to soak up all of that amazing content. Thank you. Lindsay, before we end the episode, do you have any last words of wisdom or inspiration for our listeners? I think as cliched as it sounds, you can do this and to really trust yourself and know that any setback, any challenge, whatever is going on, where like these are 
impossibly challenging times, especially now. And I think being really gentle with ourselves, not putting pressure to create the next great thing, like just really being gentle. I have found, especially this past year and even in the last few months, has been the breeding ground for some really lovely work that has been surprising me. So I think to just really be with where you are and know that wherever you happen to find yourself, you've got it, you can do it, you have something to say, and whether or not it's all coming together now or later, it will in time. So just that I'm rooting for everyone listening. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I know I'm going to be personally keeping that locked away in my mind. And thank you so much for that. <laughs> I needed welcome. to hear that. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It has been such an absolute pleasure getting to know you, talking to you, hearing about your experience and your journey. And I'm really excited for everyone to listen to this. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Everything is Teachable. If you loved this episode, if you love this podcast, we would truly appreciate it if you subscribed and left us a review over on Apple Podcast. And if you're ready to create your own online course on Teachable or learn more about us, head over to teachable.com to get started. Thank you again and see you next week. This podcast is produced by Teachable, your go-to platform for course creation. Since 2014, we've helped more than 100,000 creators earn over $1 billion from online courses and coaching products. How do we do it? By managing all the logistics, like coding and payment processing, to make it easier than ever for you to share your knowledge online. To learn more, visit teachable.com.